Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is uh, Matt Tuning. I am the lead pastor at uh, Netcast Church in the greater Boston area, and it is an absolute uh, honor and joy to be with you today. I'm, uh, man, I'm just excited, man. I, first off, I don't know if uh, this room is about the size of my entire church, so that's super intimidating, but, uh, but I'm just excited to be amongst you. I, you know, I, I just want to start out by just saying to you, uh, man, you guys have some incredible godly leaders leading your church. Uh, you know, as, as you're a part of it, it's like, uh, for me, I, you know, you, I look at my kids, I got four kids, I, I've watched my kids, and I, and I can't see them grow, and oftentimes I'm just not uh, all that aware of what, what is going on in their little lives, because I'm with them every single day, but when I could look back and see kind of pictures from a year ago, I, I could see just the growth, and, and so if you're a part of this church, sometimes it, it, it's, it's hard to, to see all the things that God is doing, unless you really look back, and can I just tell you that uh, over the last few years, you guys have poured into our church uh, in a way that really no other church has. And what the Lord has done in the fruit of his labor uh, in the greater Boston area is, is directly connected to your generosity, your faithfulness, uh, your love for this church and this city and, uh, and your leaders. And so I, I just want to give a big thanks to, uh, to the leaders, leadership here for your investment in, in my church, my church plant in greater Boston. Uh, I love Pastor Matt, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Scott. Uh, um, it's just been a joy to, to get to know you guys. So anyway, so yo, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, I'm excited to be here. A uh, little bit about me. Um, I, I grew up uh, grew up in Jersey. Anybody ever been to Jersey? <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that, okay? Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey, and my wife's from New York. Um, and so uh, so we've been married about uh, about 13 years, got four children. And uh, our story is this. So I, I grew up in Jersey. And, uh, uh, my parents split up when I was about four years old. Uh, Christianity was not my thing. And my mom's a, a bad Jew. My dad's a bad Catholic. Those are their words, not mine, okay? And uh, and they split up when I was about four years old. And uh, and you could think about, like, that weird dynamic, right? Bad Catholic, bad Jew. It's like the, you know, the Darwin fish making out with the Jesus fish on the back of a car or something, right? Right? So it's just, just weird. Uh, and so I grew up, no real Christian background, no real understanding of Jesus at all. I was recruited to play basketball at a Christian college in uh, the greater Boston area and uh, wound up, that was my very first experience of ever meeting uh, a Christian ever was going to this school. And so uh, my, I was about 17 years old, had never met a Christian, goes to, go, go to this uh, Christian college to play hoops. And uh, immediately I'm like thrown into the Christian world, right? You know, and where, where you all are weird. I mean, let's just be honest, right? When somebody who's never met a Christian starts meeting a Christian and they're like, oh yeah, we talked to God. You're like, okay, you're weird. Like, that's nuts. Uh, and so I got thrown into this Christian world. And uh, really about a month later, the Lord radically just saved me. A guy by the name of Ricky Grant shared the gospel with me. And uh, the Lord just immediately transformed my life. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, obviously I still had junk. I still had problems. But there was just a real deep uh, change that happened when I was 17 years old. And uh, about two and a half years later, uh, my wife and I, we were juniors in college. Uh, my wife, Beth, we got married. Started having babies, like, boom, immediately. Like, they just started showing up at our house. Uh, I didn't even know. I was like, another one? Really? Well, hello, let's name you, you know. So, uh, so kids just started showing up, uh, graduated with a business degree, thought I was going to climb the corporate ladder my whole life. And when I graduated, I got a pretty decent job in the city of Boston. That job led me to another job in North Carolina. And really, my time in North Carolina, I spent about five years in North Carolina, I got involved in a real, real Bible-believing, uh, gospel-centered church, uh, taught me a lot about theology. And uh, it was really my first exposure into healthy church world, to be honest. 
And uh, so anyway, so that was, that was back in, I think, 2005, 2006, something like that. In 2007, as I was serving at this church, went to bed one night and uh, had a dream. And in my dream, I was planting a church in the greater Boston area. I knew I was planting a church. We were outdoors. If you ever go into the city, I was at the corner of Tremont and Park, right next to Park Street Church in the city. And uh, I just knew I was, I, I was planting a church. And I had the same dream five nights in a row. And after the fifth night, I said to my wife, I said, honey, if we were going to plant a church and start a church, where would we go? And she just rolled her eyes, and she was like, probably Boston, and I do not want to talk about this. <laughs> and I was like, well, me neither. Good night. And uh, so really, though, the, the, the burden just began to grow. And so in 2010, after a grueling assessment process with an organization called Acts 29, who you guys are uh, affiliated with, uh, man, the Lord had called us to uh, quit my job, walked in uh, into my home, packed up a truck, and we were on our way heading to the greater Boston area uh, to plant a church. Now, now, a little bit about my resume uh, back then. So uh, it was whack. I had never uh, preached two weeks in a row. Uh, I had never really discipled anybody for that. I mean, really discipled somebody. No, I uh, never really did that. Never multiplied a group. I mean, like, seriously, I should not be doing this, okay? The fact that I'm even here today it's the only problem with your leaders is they let me hear. So I don't even know. So you should talk to them about that. Um, but really, so, so and, and, and all that being said, I'm going, like, uh, the greater Boston area is one of the least rich regions of the United States, and it's considered the preacher's graveyard. It's where preachers go to die, right? You don't go there to start a ministry. You go there to try. And then it usually doesn't work. I mean, 80% of the church plants in the last 20 years in that area have failed within the first year or two. And so, like, where, what, what the Lord was calling us to do was, was, was not something that we were all that interested, if I'm honest. And so when we went to go and start, uh, start our church's name was called Netcast Church. And when we uh, went to go and plant Netcast, we really, our mentality was don't go and plant a church. Plant the gospel, right? And so if, if you think about it, like, Jesus, he, he never set out to start a local church, right? Jesus set out to establish a kingdom, he said, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so for us, it was, let's go and plant the gospel. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll turn you into something. I'll turn you into a fisher of men. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. He didn't say go plant churches. He, he said, go and, and make disciples. So our mindset when we moved to the greater Boston area was we were going to be missionaries that went and just tried to plant the gospel and make disciples. Because really that's where the power is, right? I mean, if we're honest, we've sung about that, we've heard about that already today, that the gospel message, it is the power of God for the salvation of man, right? That's what, that was, that's what Paul tells us. The gospel is that Christ lived the life that we could not live, died the death we deserve. He died in our place for our sin and rose in victory over Satan's sin and death. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. That it's the gospel it changes things. It's not a local church. It's, it's not the local brand of Christianity and whether or not you do hymns or don't do hymns or if you have literally like the best band I've ever met in my life or, you know, you just got a whack band. I mean, it, it's about the gospel. And so really like that, that, was, that was it for us. Let's plant the gospel because the gospel is the declaration that it is finished, right? Somebody say amen. Do you not do that here? I don't know. Nobody wants to agree. Okay. Um, Right? I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? There's no more religious rituals, no more meaningless traditions, no more trying to get God on your good side, no more trying to uh, prove that you're great and so God should accept you because in Christ the Father is satisfied. I mean, that's fascinating news. And so therefore, don't go and plant a church, your little local brand of Christianity, plant the gospel. And that's what I believe that the Lord was putting on us. And, and so in 2010, we up moved to North Shore, and uh, we saw ourselves as gospel missionaries. 
Now, the North Shore, a little bit about the North Shore of Greater Boston. It's about a million people. It's within about 41 cities that makes up those million people. Uh, it's about 2.5% evangelical, one of the least reached regions in America. So it, it's, 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 a, it's a rough place to be. It, um, <laughs> people just curse a lot out there. <laughs> I don't know if they do that in Austin. Do they do it in Austin a little bit, right? And so, like, people have no problem just cursing me out and then, and then like, knowing I'm a pastor and laughing about it. And thinking it's, and, and so it's, but it's just different. It's just a different place to live. And so we moved there, parachuted in, which means we came in. We didn't know a soul. It was just me, my wife, and our four kids. And, and uh, we just believed that God was going to do something. We tried to tell everybody we knew about Jesus. And so within the first 30 days, we had 30 people that showed up at our house for uh, a vision night. And I didn't know what to do. Like, what do you do? I'd never preached really again two weeks in a row, so I just opened the Bible and read to him. I was like, hey, let me read the best sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And so, you know, I just, I really didn't know what I was doing. And by the grace of God in the last five years, we've seen hundreds of people baptized, hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. We had become, at one point, one of the fastest growing churches in, in greater Boston. And, and listen, you can clap, that's fine, not for me, but for the Lord. And, uh, and, and, and again, I just want to reiterate, like, your partnership with us, your generosity has made that happen. Like, the Lord has used that. And so what, I, what I've kind of been assigned today is talking about missions, right? So uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would, or uh, either turn it on or open it up to Acts chapter 17. Uh, and because and what I want to do is I want to talk about missions. That's kind of what they've asked me to, to talk about today. Now, when I, when I, as you're turning there, a little bit of, little bit of, uh, context. So when I talk about missions, a lot of us, we, we think of missions trips. Anybody ever been on a missions trip before? Put it up high like you enjoyed it or something. Dang. Okay. Uh, and so, so a lot of us, so a lot of us have been on missions trips before. When I, when I think about missions, even in myself, it's difficult for me to only think of it in terms of missions trips, right? And, and missions trips are great. I'm all about missions trips. But, uh, but, but you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about a life on mission. And missions trips are, are awesome. Um, if you ever go to an airport, you can typically spot a missions team fairly easily, right? If, I don't know if you've ever been in the airport, right? They typically have matching tandem shirts and they look like some sort of dance team uh, that they're going somewhere to do some sort of dance or something. I, you know, uh, literally recently I was in an airport and I, I, I'm walking through the airport and there is a, uh, there, there is a missions team, clear as day. They have yellow shirts on. I actually was able to get a, a, a picture of this. You can throw that on the screen. It was, uh, it was Jesus in a robe. So Jesus in a robe with BRB, right? Like BRB. And, and I don't know if you know what BRB means. It means be right back. Okay, be right back. And so I see this stuff. You don't really know me yet. You're just starting to get to know me. But so you need to know, like, I have to mess with this. Okay. I've got to, I've got to mess with it. So uh, I, of course, roll up and I'm like, uh, hey, oh my gosh, are you guys the tandem burp team? Is that you? Is that you? I mean, I, I, I saw you in concert years ago. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Uh, and they were like, they didn't even know what to do with me. They were like, no, we're a missions team. And I was like, oh, my, my bad, what is that, right? What's a missions team? And they just had no idea what to do with me. And so one guy, one guy laughs, legit laughs, and he's like, no, no, no. Because I asked him, I was like, who's that chick on your shirt? And they were like, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> he was like, no, ha, that's Jesus. He's going to be right back. And I was like, where did he go? And uh, so, I, and, and this is just, this is a true story. And, uh, and he was like, no, 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 no. Uh, like, he, he went to heaven and, he, and he's coming back. He's like, he died and came back. Like, did he write a book about that? He's like, yeah, kind of, he did. <laughs> uh, 
And, uh, and, and so I just start rolling with it. I'm playing dumb. I'm like, well, what happened? How did he die? And what was his book about? And, and uh, how do you know this? And all this stuff. And, and uh, he starts trying to, like, evangelize me, which I thought was so awesome. He didn't know as a pastor, obviously, I didn't let the cat out the bag. And so, uh, and so finally, he's trying to evangelize. And eventually, he dropped the line. He was like, listen, man, let me just ask you. If you were to die today, would you enter the loving arms of Jesus or go to hell? And I was like, whoa. First, I'm not sure because it seems that you have misplaced Jesus and he's apparently coming back soon. Secondly, is that a freaking threat? Are you threatening me? Right? And so he got frustrated, handed me a, a, a track. He was like, man, don't, you know, just read this. And I got angry. Something in me just got messed. I hit the track out of his hand. I said, I can't read. <laughs> you tell me about Jesus, okay? Don't give me a track. You're going to tell me about Jesus. What I did not know at this point in time of what was happening was I had a circle of yellow shirt burbs all around me, okay? <laughs> and I have some poor 16-year-old kid terrified out of his mind because I am going to make him lead me to Christ, okay? <laughs> and, so I'm, and, and so I'm in the middle of this circle having this one-on-one with this poor kid, and he's terrified. And then it hit me, what you're doing is not right. <laughs> It took that long, and here's how I knew. I knew because I knew because this poor kid, uh, his mom, which I didn't know at the time, it was the burb leader, and so his mom is tearing up. She is so proud of her boy, and I am like, I am going to hell, for sure. I am. I can't even believe. So I, I'm thinking, and you have to understand, for me now, I feel bad, and I'm like, okay, I have, I've, I got to get saved. I legit, I have to pray the prayer. I'm gonna have to pray the prayer. So I'm like, uh, man, uh, you know, what do I do? And so finally, I just leaned in. I hugged the kid. And I was like, man, I received Jesus. And I looked at him and said, you got a great son to a mom. And I just dipped. I was like, I got to catch a flight. Got to go. Bye. And I took off. So I'll see him in heaven. Praise God. Um, and so what I want to do today, what I've been assigned is talk about missions. And not a missions trip, okay? Not burb, okay? We're, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about living a life on mission. Living a life on mission. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be in Acts 17. So let me give you a little bit of context of Acts 17 as you're turning there. So uh, you know this story, but Saul heads uh, for a trip to Damascus. And uh, he's going to imprison Christians. And Jesus just gets hood on him and all of a sudden knocks him off of what uh, may have been a horse or a donkey or something. And this flash of light from heaven just invades his world and it blinds him. And if you remember, uh, Jesus says to him, he says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Right? Why are you persecuting me? Go to Damascus and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what to do next. And so uh, at the same time as all this is going on, the coolest thing is, is just watching right through as you're reading the scriptures. Just the sovereignty of the Lord, his grace, his mercy, his power. Because at the same time in Damascus, he gives this other guy named uh, Ananias a vision. And in this vision, Jesus says to him, you're going to find, uh, uh, go to Judas's house. I want you to go to Judas's house. He lives on Straight Street. Okay, I love how they went about naming streets back then. There's probably like Curve Street and L Street and Straight Street. So go to Straight Street. Uh, there's going to be a guy named Saul in there. I just blinded him. Okay, what I want you to do, and I said, go lay hands on him, pray, and I'm going to give him his sight back. Because I've chosen to carry my name to the Gentiles. And I want you to let them know this. And so Ananias is faithful, right? And in that moment, if you had a, a dream like that or a vision like that, I just wonder if you would just think it's weird pizza. If you'd actually go to Straight Street, I don't know. I think I'd have a hard time just rolling up to some dude's house and be like, Judas live here? Uh, yeah, okay. Is there a blind guy in here? Like, I just feel like that'd be hard. Uh, and so, but, but the faithfulness here of Ananias. And he does what Jesus says. And, and, he, and he walks in and Saul, the Pharisee, after this goes on, becomes Paul the missionary. And that happens in Acts chapter 9. 
And in Acts chapter 17, there's about a 20-year gap between those chapters. And within those 20 years, Paul travels the known world of its day. And he goes about making disciples by planting the gospel. Right? I don't believe his intention was all of a sudden I'm just going to go start a church and have it, you know, we're going to be in a middle school and that's what we're going to do this and we're going to set up shop and do it there and kind of we're going to have a sick man. No, he just went about making disciples just everywhere he went telling everybody about Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 17 verses 16 through 27, Paul, we find him in Athens. And what I want us to look at is what made Paul such an exceptional missionary. And so let's, let's read together. Acts 17, starting in verse 27. Y'all with me still? We good? We good? Okay, good. It says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he was waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked or stirred within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned. That, that word reason, it means to, like he discussed in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And so what you're seeing here is Paul uh, began to work to understand his context, right? And so a little bit of understanding about what we just saw there in, in just those couple of verses. The word, for, uh, the word reasoned in there actually means discuss or to converse or to talk. And Paul wasn't just rolling up somewhere like some sort of street preacher in a microphone and an A-frame thing that probably had some fire on it and, you know, a speaker on his back. Paul went in there to discuss. And he went in there to understand, okay, asking questions. What is it that you believe? And here's what I believe. And he began to seek to understand his context personally. Now, let me ask you a question. I know you live in Austin area. I know you're from Texas, live in Texas. This is home for you. But do you understand your context personally? Like, like, have you begun to see this region, this area, your world with missionary eyes? When was the last time you intentionally attempted to figure out what people around here believe? Not just assume. Right, because just because you live in a particular context or just because you live in a particular area, maybe your whole life, don't assume you know what you might not know because you have not asked. When was the last time you asked a friend what they believe? And so a little bit of reason why I'm asking is because when I moved to the greater Boston area, I had lived there six years already. I'm from the, the, the northeast area. And so I assumed a lot of things. I thought I understood what people believe. I thought by watching a couple shows about the greater Boston area, watching Goodwill Hunting and, you know, watching some things or reading a couple magazines, you know, following the Sox, the Red Sox, you know, or uh, Red Sox Nation, whatever, that I assumed I knew some things. But really, when I moved to the greater Boston area, I realized really quickly that, that I, because I was not living in a context with missionary eyes prior, I really had a, the sin of assumption. And so real quickly, I realized I don't have a clue what these people believe. I mean, I thought everybody there was an atheist or an agnostic. And what I realized over, over a period of time, most of those people that live there are very sweet, loving, God-fearing people. They just don't know that Jesus is God. And so, so I began, uh, my, my way of trying to figure this out is I, uh, I, I moved in and uh, started trying to, uh, I started asking people, like, what they believed. And it would mess people up, so I stopped doing that, and I began to uh, pretend that I was doing a project. So, you know, I could lie a little bit. I'm a 
pastor. I knew that God would forgive me. So, um, so, no, no. so what I would do is I would actually set out and I would go and, and I would uh, tell people, this is how we started NetCast. Uh, I would tell people, listen, uh, if you'll sit down and speak with me for 30 minutes on spiritual things, I just have three questions I want to ask you. And if, if I could ask you those things, I'll buy your coffee, even buy you a meal. I had a guy in North Carolina that was going to front the bill on all of that. And so it was just to help me understand my context. And I would sit down for literally eight hours at a time every day for probably a period of a month. And I still do this at, to some extent now. And I would ask people three questions. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And how has that belief changed your life at all? And people had no idea I was a pastor because I looked like I'm 16 years old, right? And so they thought that I was in a student somewhere and I was, gonna go to, I was going to school and I legit was doing this project. Little did they know that I was going to use all their information to reach them. And so, uh, and so they would ask, well, what are you doing this for? I say, it's just a project. You can, I'll, I'll tell you afterwards if you still have questions. I don't want to kind of skew your, 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 your words or, or your, uh, the way that you're going to present yourself to me. And so I, I just would go and I'd ask them those questions. And so what I found was that unless I was willing to actually ask people what they believed, I really didn't know. I mean, I was blown away at some of the crazy things that people believe. Believe about God. Believe about Jesus. Believe about the church. And so let me encourage you, ask. Don't assume that you know. Your neighbors, your, the people that you work with, you think you know more than you do. And I thought I knew more than I do. How arrogant of me. And so I, I love watching that Paul is in there in the marketplace every day. He's discussing. He's reasoning. Let's look at verse 18 and continue on. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, basic, basically those are people who believed in God and others who didn't believe in a God. And they also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I love, I love that because there's a clarity there. They, like they knew very clearly what Paul believed, didn't they? I mean, so often I, as living as a missionary, even in my context, I wonder, do people actually know what I believe? Am I known for Jesus and the resurrection? And they knew clearly. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying this, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange or some foreign or some new things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing. I love that. Nothing except talking or hearing something new. Like that's their hobby. It's lame. I know. I get it, right? They didn't have college football and things that we would might enjoy. That, so they would just debate about these foreign belief systems. And so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God, right, this resurrected Jesus in which you know that I'm about. The God, singular God, the God who made the whole world because they believed that every, there was all multiple different gods that played different facets of the created order. The God who made the whole world, the cosmos, the ordered creation, and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by man. Right? You know, living in the South, when I lived in the South for the period of time that I did, I, I, was, I was blown away at how many people th thought God lived in the building. Isn't that weird? Right, like, like, you know, they come to church, they use different language. They come to church and they operate differently. But do you not know, and Paul says, that you are the building in which he lives in. 
You, brothers and sisters, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And what Paul is doing is he's contextually operating in, in, as a missionary, and he's beginning to explain to them the difference between religion and this message of Jesus. Now, now, even in the Christian community, even as a pastor in my own church, it is so interesting to see how quickly we can move away from the message of Jesus and into this realm of religion, isn't it? Isn't it? Are we not honest here? It's just in Boston. Like, isn't it? So quick we could get there. And Sundays are the worst, right? Like, Sundays are the worst. You put on your Sunday's best. I mean, I'm doing legit. I'm doing all right today, right? I did okay. I know I got flip-flops on. Some of you might be mad. Why is he in flip-flops? Oh, my gosh. Whatever. Your elders aren't here, so. Right? And so, you know, Sunday, we put on our Sunday's best, right? We're freaking out on our kids, trying to get them buckled in, in the car, getting them out the door. Who knows? That's laboring. Anybody? Okay? That's difficult, okay? Because they're like, again, we have to put our seat. Yes, again. Every time we get in the car, again, put your seat on. Anyway, I need counseling anyway. Um, so we, so, you know, you show up to church, you get there, you park, you had a frustrated moment, m- morning, you're waving to the person on the parking team. I don't know if you have those here. And, and deep down, you're like, I hate you. I don't want to be here, right? And so, uh, you know, you walk in, big smile, Bible under arm, you, you walk in, your language shifts, like, hey, brother, how you doing today? Man, so good, excited, super excited. We're going to fellowship together, fellowship, 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 ship. Two fellows in a ship, we're going to just fellowship together, just us, you know. We, but, you know, we got the smile on, you know. How's your day, man? Well, today is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to be glad, rejoice in it. I mean, when that happens, I'm like, yo, let's just pray. We just got to pray for you. You know, it's Sundays, Sundays are the worst, right? It's because it's so easy to put on the Christian mask, the religious mask. Right? We got our hands up at the right time of worship, right? Just when the, when the band, what's your name again? Logan, when Logan hits that key, and, and, and then all of a sudden he steps back from the mic, we all know, oh, now is our time. And we sing, you know, and we get our hands up. You know, it's so easy to kind of play the game. It's so easy to play the game. And what happens is, is Paul is outlining, he's beginning to show us that religion and the message of Jesus are different. Right? Religion is when we begin to add rules or add behaviors to this covenantal, unconditional love of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that when we begin to add this Christian subculture to the gospel, we eventually ruin it, don't we? I mean, like, like, oh my gosh, last night I had the best meal of my life. Thank you, Scott, for, he took me out. I, I went to, um, to Styles and Switch, Switch, Stitch, Switch, Style Switch. Oh, oh my gosh, brisket. You need to go there right after here, okay? This is not a marketing ploy. This is legitimate. You have to show up, right? And so, but, but here's the deal. Here's what did not happen last night. We did not go through the line and get our incredible steak. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. Brisket, steak, I said steak. Oh, there's a difference. I didn't even know till I got here. I didn't even know. You know, it's just different. And so, and, but I, I didn't go through the line, you know, and, and, and anybody who likes steak or brisket, anybody, I just wanted to make sure I'm not alone. Okay, huh, okay, okay, steak is not brisket, but who likes steak and brisket? Okay, <laughs> yes, there's no, you come to Boston, go to Grill 23 in the city, and you will get a booming steak. It's amazing. And you have to get it medium rare or rare. You, if you are the type that likes your steak charred, you probably deserve hell. I'm just, 
I'm just kidding. I'm never getting invited back. But anyway, <laughs> right? But here's what I didn't do. I didn't, I didn't go through the line and order my food and sit down at the table. And we prayed and thank God for this meal. And, and I didn't say, okay, where's the ketchup? Where's the mustard? I need some steak sauce. I didn't do any of that. I dove in and grubbed. Who's with me? Anybody? Why? Ketchup is not bad. Steak sauce is not bad. But it will ruin it. Right? And in the same way, as my cool illustration, you should love it. When we add anything to the goodness of the gospel, the grandeur of the gospel, that again, God made him a new no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that that is it, that we walk with God. We know Jesus. When we begin to add silly little things like Christian t-shirts and uh, with a red cross, I was saved by a blood donor or, or, or just or like a breadcrumb and fish. It's really Abercrombie and fish. But like, or, you know, like, like, you know, we begin to add these weird things to our Christian faith that adds to Jesus, this Jesus plus mentality. It ruins it. It ruins it. The purity of the gospel is beautiful. And that's what Paul is arguing for here. And then he says in verse 26, and he says, and he, this God, and he, this Jesus, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined in his providence, in his, in his knowledge, in his infinite wisdom, having determined in his sovereignty our allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Like, like, did you just hear that? I don't know if you just heard that. That God determined where you would live, and when you would live there, that the reason that you live, that live in 2016 in Austin or the reason that you don't live in, 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 a, in, in, a, in, in somewhere in the Middle East somewhere, the reason you don't live in Serbia or uh, Syria or Europe or, or why not Hawaii, right? Like, but the reason you live here today, now, like there is a reason God determined that. The reason you're in Austin, Texas, the reason that you endured the things that you've endured in the family in which you live, the reason that you, like, there is a reason. Like, you're not a mistake. But the, but the reason might not be the reason that you thought. Or you might have some, some, some understanding, oh, well, this is why God had me here. My job sent me here. And I would just tell you that God has a reason the reason not just where you live and when you live there and the reason why you don't live in the 5th century and you live in the 21st century, there's a reason behind it. And in verse 27, blows my mind. God gives it to us. The reason is that they should seek God and perhaps reach out and feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is not actually far from any one of us. And the NIV is so simplistic, it's written for like third graders, and, I, and I'm able to memorize this. But God ordained where you would live and when you would live there for one reason and one reason only, so that man would seek God and perhaps reach out and find him, because he's not far from any one of us. 
And that the primary reason that God has you where you are, the primary reason why God sent me to Boston is for that reason, so that men would seek God, perhaps reach out and find him, because he's not far from any one of us. That God in his infinite wisdom, in his, in his grace and in his mercy, he, he foreknew, he, he, in his foreknowledge, in his wisdom, and he knew that the best case scenario for you to find God and for others around you to know God is, is that you would be here now, today, Man, that has implications, doesn't it? On your marriage, on your parenting, on your connection with your local church, and knowing your neighbors, and being intentional in the workplace. Man, that that has implications. And the reason that you're here today and the reason why you're at, at, at the stone and that's the place where you worship God and the reason why even right now you're under my voice is for one reason and one reason only is that so men and women would seek God, perhaps reach out, reach out and find him because he is not far from any one of us. And perhaps if you've already found him, it's a brilliant reminder that those around you who don't know God, God has sent you to live in your neighborhood, to understand your context, to know the stories of the people around you so that you might share with them the good news in which has transformed you. Like if you are a redeemed child of God, you need to remember this, that you are a missionary, you are called by God to plant the gospel. This isn't just for the professionals. We are all saints. We are all priests. We are all missionaries. The Bible says you're an ambassador for Christ. Do you, want, you know something about an ambassador? An ambassador doesn't even have the privilege of sharing their own opinion. And you have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. How gracious is our God. To entrust us, I know me, me, to entrust us with this message to the world that in Christ we can be fully known and fully loved. There's no other relationship on the planet in which that exists. I mean, sometimes as believers we forget the unbelievable truths about the gospel. That we're loved by God and that others can be loved by God. Like, I I don't know what you think of yourself. I don't know how you label yourself or how those around you label themselves. But do you know that in Christ, we can never be separated from his love ever. I mean, Paul speaks of this, shall tribulation, hardships, difficulties, shall distress, shall persecution, when when things come up against you, shall famine, when you don't have the things that you desire or want or think you need, when, when, what about nakedness or danger or sword? He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, listen, death itself, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. People need to know that. This isn't a do-good religion where you're just trying to convince people they need to be like you are so that they could be good like you are. No, no, no. You can be fully known and fully loved that in Christ you're loved. 
In Christ, you're cherished. In Christ, you're complete. In Christ, you're alive that you were dead. How crazy is that? And God made you alive. In Christ, you are holy and blameless and perfect in every way imaginable. In Christ, you can have a peace that surpasses your own understanding, a joy in all circumstances, a confidence, a confidence that greater is he who is in you than anything that this world can throw at you. Like in Christ, you're gifted and powerful and renewed. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're purchased, redeemed, and forgiven of your sin, of your sins, you're a saint. Now listen, now, listen, stay with me. Go tell the world. Go tell the world. You don't need a burb shirt to do that. Just walk next door. Just be intentional in your community. Just open your mouth with your family. How great is our God to entrust us with this message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so kind to us to trust us, people who are not trustworthy, with this good news, to love us the way you love us, unconditionally. And so stir us, just like Paul was stirred, to be your hands and to be your feet. <laughs> and for those of us in the room who might not even have our mindset on this idea of mission, help us to remember that you did not make mistakes and that my life has been led by you and that you've brought me to where I am today so that man, so that I might seek out and find you because you are not far from any one of us. Help us to believe the gospel, whether we're Christians or not Christians. Help us to believe. Make us believe. It's in your beautiful name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen.